You are listening to Analyze Asia with Bernard Leung, the podcast dedicated to interview thought leaders and industry players to understand and dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by Ideal Workspace, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. You can visit their website, idealworkspace.com. Hi, Gen. Hey, Bernard. How are you doing? Doing very well. We are talking to Gen Kanai, the Director of Asia Community Engagement from Mozilla Corporation. So tell me, Gen, you are here in Singapore. What are you here to do? Yes, I just gave a keynote at FOSS Asia 2015. This is uh, the largest open source software conference in Asia. Uh, yeah, it was uh, great to talk about Firefox OS and great to talk about our recent Asian launches for Firefox OS in Bangladesh, India, and the Philippines. You came from the US and you moved to Japan. Yes. And you're based out of there. How did it came about? Sure. I grew up in New York City. I went to university in the, in the US. And a number of years ago, I was working at Sony in the US, in New Jersey. At the time, I was working on one of their internet-connected video cameras that had a related internet service. And my team was building out the internet service. I had an opportunity to move to Tokyo with Sony. And I did that. And then while I was in Sony, in Tokyo, I the Sony headquarters office moved from New Jersey to San Diego. And I decided rather than to go back to San Diego, to stay in Tokyo. At the time, I was close uh, communication with Joey Ito. And he suggested that I join one of uh, the startups that he was working on at the time, which was Technorati Japan. Technorati, if you remember, was a blog search engine, and blogs were big in Japan at the time as well. Technorati Japan was started to try and gather data from the Japanese blog world. I worked on that startup for about a year, and about the time when I was starting to think of maybe looking for something else, uh, Joey came to me and said that Mozilla was opening, planning to open an office in Tokyo. Would I come to some meetings? So this was early 2006. Firefox 1.5 had just been released. After a number of meetings and interviews, uh, I was hired to help open the Tokyo office. Basically, you've been in this role for, for Mozilla for a while. I've been working at Mozilla since uh, January 2006, but in many different roles. My first role was to help manage our search engine partnerships in Japan. So at the time, we had partnerships with Yahoo, uh, Rakuten, Amazon, Google, a few others. Hmm. Then I moved into a marketing role, uh, became director of marketing for Japan. While I was doing that, I helped our previous CEO, John Lilly, who's currently a partner at uh, Greylock, a venture capital firm. He and I helped to open the China office, Beijing office for Mozilla. Once we had China and Japan running, I decided to move my focus to Southeast Asia. So I moved into a developer evangelism role. I helped to start a number of prominent Mozilla communities in Indonesia and the Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, a number of Southeast Asian countries. More recently, I moved into a role covering South Asia and also the in do, also doing that, uh, helping to support the launch of Firefox OS in both South and Southeast Asia. 2014, it was India, Bangladesh, and Philippines, and uh, mm. we'll see additional launches for mm. Firefox OS in Asia later this year. Mm. We hear a lot about 
Firefox and the parent kind of um, company and foundation is called the Mozilla Corporation and Foundation. So uh, what is the key mission of the organization? Is it to sort of promote open source uh, software or to sort of enable everyone in the web and mobile world? It's the latter. So our mission is to promote openness, innovation and opportunity on the web. Open source is just one of the one of the ways we we enable that. Mm. So we make our software free uh, and open source, and those are important characteristics for us. But the mission of the organization is is the open web. Mm. And the uh, Firefox actually have been very popular in the emerging markets as well. As a footprint of Mozilla in Asia, how does it collaborate with open, other open source movements? around this region. I, I know that a lot of the open source people know you very well. In fact, that's where we met yeah. years ago yeah. through the same community. Yeah, um, you know, Mozilla, well, Firefox is probably the most prominent consumer-facing open source brand, you know, 400 million plus users on, on the desktop. We do a lot of collaboration with uh, similar open source projects, and we also uh, have a number of key open source uh, software built into Firefox. For instance, it's called SQLite. Yeah, so SQLite is an example of a open source project that's that we help to fund, but that's also built into Firefox as well. Mm. And of course, the browser is pretty well known, and there are a lot of. I think there's undergoing a lot of interesting changes as well. Recently, you launched a new thing called Firefox Hello. Yes. And what is that about, actually? Hello is a feature, a new feature in Firefox. It's pretty interesting. It uses a technology called WebRTC. RTC stands for real-time communication. It's a new standard that allows for voice, video, and data transmission secure encrypted between two pieces of software that support that protocol. So in our case, Firefox supports it, Chrome supports it. I think there's a few more browsers coming out that will support uh, WebRTC. And this essentially gives you Skype-like capabilities in the browser natively. So uh, you can do a, a video chat with audio. You can send data, basically files, uh, back and forth between yourself and, and someone else who has uh, a browser that supports uh, WebRTC. Mm. In fact, you also have some features that allow in Firefox that allow you to even sync your bookmarks and in different apps as well, right? That's correct. Uh, Firefox Sync uh, was our previous syncing feature. We've moved to a new system called Firefox Accounts, which allows you to do everything that you did on Sync, so sync your bookmarks and your passwords and all that. But also, if you want to do uh, sharing on social media, the accounts also let you do additional things oh. in that area as well. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Shame on me for being a Firefox user <laughs> for the longest time. Um, but I think it's heavily adopted in Asia. Which countries particularly that where Firefox have a very good market share? Sure. On the desktop, I would say Indonesia is probably still one of our strongest markets. In fact, Asia is a really interesting region for Firefox. You have uh, a country like Indonesia, which has probably still the highest market share in the world for Firefox. And then a country like Korea, which has one of the lowest uh, Firefox market shares in the world for a technical reason. Yes, it's the ActiveX problem. That's I hear you talk about it, but I think it's also good for the rest of Asia to know about this South Korea problem. I know yeah. they're fixing it, but what, what was it about actually? So I traveled to Korea in 2007 and I found out about this, this situation in 2007. It surprised me so much that I wrote a blog post all about it 
and that blog post became so popular it hit the it hit salon.com it hit the front page of slashdot it was uh, a really global tech blog post at the time basically what the south korean government did many years ago was it mandated that only netscape and internet explorer be uh, usable for encrypted communications within Korea. And after Netscape, the company died and the product went away. Basically, the only product, the only browser that could do encrypted communications on the Korean internet was Internet Explorer via an ActiveX plugin. So that means if you are a Mac user in Korea, you struggle. You can't do online banking, uh, e-commerce, stock trading, any of the things that you would need an encrypted connection with. Or if you are a Linux user, you would struggle, etc. It's only been more recently with the popularity of smartphones in Korea that some of this has started to change. And we're hoping that the new uh, South Korean president moves forward with basically getting rid of some of these uh, laws that mandate the usage, usage of ActiveX. That also means like Chrome, Safari also can't do anything in the South Korea market. That's my understanding. I mean, I think, yeah, that, that's my understanding. Mm. And I think it's also uh, Nathan Miller, one of my guests, was talking about this as, a, as an impending problem for e-commerce. And I think that the current president is actually going to make some changes on that. And I think we just had lunch with Colin and he's going to send me the link. So if we put up the link and there is, and then that would be great to hear for us on that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just a strange situation where a country that is so far ahead in, in technology, you know, certainly on the mobile side, but in general, such a high tech country has this weird sort of Achilles heel, whereby, you know, everybody who needs to do an encrypted transaction on the web has to use uh, Windows and Internet Explorer. It, mm. it definitely seems strange. Yeah. Okay. I saw I want to know a little bit more about something else. I think because in Asia, we are a mobile world, and I think there's a lot of mobile first countries like Indonesia. Inevitably, we want to talk about Firefox OS, which I think of all mobile operating systems have a pretty good shot in becoming the third because I'm kind of a fan of the browser myself. But maybe tell me the backstory how Firefox Mobile came about the operating system and then what are the things that, what's this major differentiation against iOS and Android? And then maybe tell me about what are the things that you are trying actively doing to get this operating system online? Sure. In terms of the history of the project, I believe it was uh, our current CTO, Andreas Gall, who was running uh, a different part of uh, Mozilla at the time before he became CTO. He sort of started a, a small project, which turned out to become Firefox OS. It was originally called Boot to Gecko. Uh, B2G was the code name. Uh, Boot to Gecko was the code name. And it was a basically sort of a, you know, I think some, something that came up, up over dinner uh, for Andreas and some folks. And they started just brainstorming, could this be done? Could we make a mobile phone operating system uh, on the web with web technologies? And the project grew from that. I think at the same time, Mozilla basically won the battle on the desktop, which is to say that if you look at the desktop browser uh, competition landscape today, it's a very, certainly from the mid-90s when, when Firefox first debuted, it's a very different atmosphere. You've got 
uh, Chrome uh, leading in many markets. You've got Firefox or Internet Explorer uh, leading in some markets. It's a, it's a very vibrant, competitive landscape. Mm. And I think that was one of the goals of Mozilla at the time, was to provide choice to users who didn't have choice uh, back when there was only Internet Explorer. So that was the start of the project. Your second question was about... What is this differentiation against sure. iOS and Android? Sure. Yeah. I think the main, there's a number of ways we are different from iOS and Android. Obviously, technically, because it's a web-based operating system, there's a few key differences that we believe are very important. One is that if you're an app developer for iOS and Android, you basically need to have a computer science background of some sort to be able to develop an Android app in Java or develop an iOS app in Objective-C. Whereas for Firefox OS, uh, you need the skills of a web developer. That's right. So HTML5, CSS, JavaScript. We believe there are probably 10x as many Firefox OS app developers as there are for Android and iOS. So one of the things that we believe is really important is sort of lowering the bar to app development. Mm. Um, That's definitely one of the key things. And also the monetization, right? Because you take zero and the developer takes the 100, where currently still a 70, 30 percent. I mean, the native app model is is kind of in between before we go to really truly a free internet, free web world. Right. I I don't know that it's 100 and zero. I believe we might take mm-hmm. some percentage okay but it's probably less than uh, yeah. what what uh, Android and iOS are taking yeah the other thing that we're doing is lowering the cost of the device itself so in the since the launch in 2013 and with 2014 as well we've seen some very affordable Firefox OS devices I myself was a part of a launch of uh, the cherry mobile ace in the Philippines which in 2014 was the lowest cost smartphone in the world. How much was that? It was uh, 999 Philippine pesos. So at the time it was in December 2014, it was probably about 23 uh, USD. Oh, it's even cheaper than the 33 baseline Firefox OS phone that was, I think, featured in, I think, the next web or TechCrunch. That's correct. When Mozilla came to uh, Mobile World Congress in 2014, we talked about a $33 phone, and the Philippine uh, Cherry Mobile Ace phone was actually less expensive than the, some mm-hmm. of the phones that came out in India and, and Bangladesh. I guess there's always this thought about um, solving problems, and you know, most of the apps in the iOS and Android are typically solving what we call first world problems. I think it's a sarcastic hashtag, but I, I guess much more. I think it's much more interesting to sort of find out in how Firefox OS actually enabled people in the emerging markets. So have you seen any interesting cases on the Firefox OS itself? Yes, definitely. I mean, we're seeing apps for, let's say, uh, bus routes in Dhaka or just use cases where we haven't seen, where there isn't apps yet in in iOS and Android, we can, you know, our platform allows for creativity and local app development at a much, you know, yeah, at a much lower cost because A, your only cost is finding a a web developer Hmm. and B, uh, the phones themselves are are very uh, reasonably priced. So do you partner with like local telco companies um, to launch the phones and and deal with billing? Yes, in some cases. In some cases, we partner with hardware manufacturers who then sell the phone. 
So an example of a carrier partnership would be the Bangladesh launch uh, with Grameen Phone. So Grameen Phone is the number one uh, mobile carrier in Bangladesh. They were our launch partner for the Symphony Phone in uh, Symphony Go Fox 15, I believe that's what it was called, in Bangladesh. So in that case, yes, uh, Grameen Phone did a lot of marketing and promotion of the Firefox phone in Bangladesh. In uh, India and the Philippines, we worked more with local hardware providers, mobile phone providers in, in India, Spice uh, and Intex and Alcatel in the Philippines, Cherry Mobile, and they were our partners for the launch. Mm. And then you will also be trying to go into the other more interesting emerging markets, maybe at some point. I can't talk about yep, that specifically, right. but we're definitely looking at a number of additional markets in mm. Asia. I, I guess it's actually interesting to sort of ask you, I mean, this um, the idea of using a mobile OS from the web is also shared a little bit earlier, like what Google did with Chrome, but they took the path of focusing on Android and tried to take the Android OS down to the, I call it the $100 phone which they claim that the Android one is serving. If you look at these different players, do you think that the web OS model is actually much better for the real low end for enabling the markets or do you think that there's still a chance for the native app market to actually go downstream? We have seen that a web-based runtime uses can get by with a weaker, uh, slower CPU. Mm. So if you're asking about performance, et cetera, I think if you're looking at a, you know someone who wants uh, maximum performance, mm -hmm. perhaps a native app on a native OS platform uh, might provide a little bit of a faster experience. But if you try and use Facebook on a Firefox OS phone on a reasonable 3G network or even a 4G network in some cases, uh, it's a very... It's a very fast experience. It's an experience similar to what you might get on a $100 um, Android phone. Android phone, exactly. Wow. And the fact that it's actually from web mixed up, it's even easier for the user to actually use it because they, they basically just have to turn on the browser on that. That's correct. Mm. And, I, and I guess this, this, this has always been a question that I've kind of spoke to guests on the show, which are like Samir and Ben Baharin, where we are always debating where does Google's vision of Android should be going. And there's always this debate whether they want to move from app-based to web-based. And, and I think there are different schools of thought because of the way uh, Google has enabled the uh, app economy through the native approach and making that switch for them is actually very difficult. Whereas Firefox comes straight from the web perspective. I mean, there is commercial incentive, but not into the extent of where Google has already built Android to. So would that difference in the paradigm shift also allow Firefox to have a better penetration into markets that I think that are emerging, the emerging markets itself? Yeah, I think that's the case. At MWC 2015, a few weeks ago, Mozilla and Orange uh, Mobile announced a large partnership for Africa mm. and Orange plans to launch Firefox OS in a number of uh, African countries uh, this year. And I think they, you know, they probably had a choice of a number of, uh, of OS's to go with. I think there's a reason that they chose Firefox OS for these markets. So uh, I don't think it's only emerging markets per se. KDDI in December of 2014 launched the uh, FX0 which is the highest uh, specification Firefox OS device mm. yet released. 
It's something like 50,000 Japanese yen. So it's a lot of, yeah, it's a very high spec phone designed by a, a renowned product designer, uh, Tokujin mm. Yoshioka. Mm. And it got a lot of press when it was first released. It's the first uh, see through uh, mobile phone. Oh. So a very uh, pretty striking looking uh, device. You can see the, the CPU, you can see the board uh, through the plastic. And because it's web based, you with high-end specs means it moves very fast. Yeah, in it's terms a, of the apps. It's a great yeah, and in Japan that phone supports uh, 4G networks. It supports NFC. It supports WebRTC. It supports a lot of technologies that that I think you haven't seen on a Firefox OS phone until that phone. Wow. Okay. If it can be used on a high-end phone, it could be used for any other device. That's correct. So have you seen any implementations, not maybe by uh, Mozilla itself, but by people putting it on TV, putting it on other kinds of devices? Great question. Yes. So we've seen a number of non-mobile phone uh, applications. So the most prominent one probably is uh, Panasonic's uh, upcoming 4K TVs. It's coming out. Firefox OS will be the operating system on a number four or five different Panasonic 4K TVs coming out later this year. Uh, that was uh, also recently announced by Panasonic and was demoed at MWC. We saw a, a really cool startup at MWC who showcased their new. It's a Firefox OS device, but it's a round smartphone. It's physically round. Ooh. And the interface is also round. The company is called uh, MonoOM, and the product is called Runcible. Okay. Uh, so you can check that out. It's a really cool device. It's a sort of palm-sized, round smartphone. Mm. And what they want to do is sort of recall like the pocket watches of of, of old. Oh. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like a pocket watch, but it's like a mobile phone. Exactly. Well. Wow. Exactly. That's a, that's a, that's a different way of visualizing. Exactly. That. Uh, and it, it's got a camera on the back. Um, but the interface uh, being round is also very different from just about any other mobile phone that we've seen today. Mm. Uh, we have a number of TV dongles that mm. are coming out with Firefox OS. It's a prominent one on Kickstarter. The name escapes me at the moment. So yes, we've seen a number of non-mobile phone implementations of Firefox, and mm. I think we'll see Firefox OS, and I think we'll see uh, more to come. So the Firefox OS, as I understand, is actually open source, right? So people of can course. actually take a look at how it's being constructed. Yeah. Would you foresee yourself having like what happened to Android, having a cyanogen equivalent of that? Certainly could be. I think as be as Firefox becomes more popular, we might see uh, forks and we might see a company taking Firefox OS and stripping out the Mozilla trademarks mm. uh, and shipping uh, something on their own. That's um, you know that's the benefit uh, and the challenge of, of open source is that the benefit is getting everybody to you know giving everybody the opportunity to contribute back, but certainly at the same time anybody can take the code and as long as the Mozilla trademarks are not there, they can make their own uh, mobile phone operating system. Mm. But I think it's also good because it drives more innovation and actually for you guys, you also can take a leaf from people who actually fought your code and maybe you find ways of innovating as well. Absolutely. And uh, the goal is basically to make sure that the web stays as a premier platform, uh, not only for desktop, but also for, for mobile. Mm. Uh, I think there's been... I think there's room for both a web-based mobile future, 
as well as uh, a native OS, uh, native apps. Okay, Gen, you have been traveling around Southeast Asia, you've seen the ecosystems grow, etc. What excites you, I mean, with, the, with all these movements in Asia, startups, how do you see the markets have changed over the last couple of years? Yeah, so actually I've been a mentor with 500 startups uh, since uh, the very beginning when Dave first started the uh, fund. I actually helped uh, Dave McClure when he first came to Japan and helped him get in, introduced him to a number of his first investments uh, in some Japanese startups and etc. So I've, I've definitely seen the startup uh, ecosystem. Uh, most prominently I've been closest to the ecosystem in Asia. But in my travels, I've spent a lot of time looking at the ecosystem across across Asia and Southeast Asia and South Asia as well. The thing that I think is uh, most prominent is we're definitely seeing the boom of startups going, you know, all the way to in, in every country in Asia. We've, we're seeing entrepreneurs starting small companies making web apps making you know mobile phone apps the silicon valley mindset has really I think has really spread across the world uh, and certainly across asia as well uh, pretty quickly i would say in the last uh, five to seven years that's both exciting but we're also seeing some of the uh, challenges in that which is to say that uh, software developers are becoming more and more expensive. Mm. So companies that used to maybe outsource to India are finding that Indian software developers are getting expensive because, you know, even if the best ones might be working for Microsoft or Google, uh, some of the other ones have decided to, you know, do startups and now they're working at Flipkart or Tokopedia, yeah, uh, yeah, or, or Grab Taxi, exactly, any of these uh, major, you know. Uh, startups in South Asia or Southeast Asia, some of them uh, approaching the $1 billion uh, valuation. Mm. It's an interesting time in the market where we're seeing some real real growth in startups in Asia, and that's an exciting time for those entrepreneurs. Mm. Yeah. I think that that's, that's interesting. So help my audience. How do they find you? So you can find me. Uh, I have a blog at the Mozilla in Asia blog. You can Google that. Uh, you can reach me again at mozilla.com. My Twitter handle is at gen, G-E-N. Yep, one of the rare three letters Twitter accounts. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I was good friends with uh, Evan Williams since uh. Uh, way before he started, since his blogger days. So uh, when I heard about uh, Twitter, I jumped on pretty early. Uh, no, I think now you can't have three letters anymore. Oh, is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even four. Oh, it's not gone. So you're one of the rare. That's correct. And uh, you can also find you in your, you have a personal blog too, right? Yes, I do. I don't update that uh, that often. Mm. Okay. You can definitely find me at bleongcw or bernardleong.com or you can also follow us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia or AnalyzeAsia.com. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you could go through SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And of course, the best place to listen to it is Overcast. And of course, please leave reviews. I don't mind with one star to five star, but I would rather have your frank opinion on that. So once again, again, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was my pleasure, Bernard.